welcome to the We Are NTC podcast, a production of NTC Australia and New Zealand. My name is Joseph Wood, and I'm the Dean of Students at NTC and your host for the podcast. Recently, we held our annual Spiritual Deepening Weekend at the All Nations Church of the Nazarene in Auckland, New Zealand. Joining those in person at the church was a small group who gathered in the Brisbane campus chapel and several people joined us online. Our speaker this year was the Reverend Roland Hearn, Field Strategy Coordinator in the Church of the Nazarene for Australia and New Zealand. Focusing on the first letter of John, Roland explored what he called the heart of holiness. Over three evenings, this theme was unpacked and shared with those in attendance. Through the grace of technology, we were able to record these sermons to share with you. This episode features the final evening, titled, The Life of Love. As always, we pray God's blessing on you as you listen. And I don't think that's an accident. I think God has pulled together a wonderful team. And we are already missing our... Our former principal, uh, Dr. Rob Fringer, um, we just keep, we'll just keep praying that God brings him back one day. Um, but we're looking forward to what God has for us in the future in our new principal. And even though the physical college is, is a long way away, actually I don't even know where West is. I guess it's, I guess it's that direction. Um, even though it's a long way away, uh, you know you have NTC right here in Auckland at the national office, and uh, and that's been one of the great things that Rob did for us while he was principal, is he, he made it possible for there to be a viable educational option um, in in New Zealand through NTC, and that's a real a blessing. So, <clears throat> so keep praying for NTC, keep praying for our new principal, and uh, keep raising up young people to hear the, hear the call of God upon their life, to give their lives in ministry and service, and that they might be educated through NTC. God has a future for us, and he needs us to be passionate about his call upon our lives, and education is a huge part of that um, for us. Let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we just do once again say we want you to come and speak to us in this time. I am very aware of my inadequacies and it's not my inadequacies that I want to be seen here this evening. We want to hear from you and we present this time to you to the extent that, uh, that I might be a vessel to convey that truth. I pray that, that I would be submissive to your love and reflect that love in all that I do. But it is your word that we ultimately long to hear tonight. And so we give our ears to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you do me the honour of standing as we, as we read his word together this evening? <clears throat> this is 1 John chapter 4. I'm starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world 
that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also want to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we've seen and, and, uh, and testify that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, lives in him and he in God. And as we know and rely, uh, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. You may be seated. There's a lot of love in that passage, isn't there? <clears throat> One of the things that uh, I like to say is um, we love to love. We love love. We love living in love. We love to be loved. We love love. We love love, don't we? Love that love. John has a lot of love in this chapter. Well, in just over, actually, under seven hours, I'll be getting up and uh, heading to the airport to fly home uh, after the uh, conclusion of uh, quite a long time of travel. It just so happened that all those pieces came together at the same time and um, has left me um, <clears throat> travelling. Um, Emmy and I went first of all to, uh, on the 1st of June, we went to uh, Indianapolis and we had the uh, Field Strategy Coordinators Conference. We're there for a few days with that and then all of the missionaries, the Nazarene missionaries from around the world, well not all of them, but a good significant number of them, gathered together then following that event and that we had a, a missionary uh, gathering and then we came together for district assembly, oh, sorry, general assembly. What a wonderful time that was of, of experiencing the presence of God and catching up with friends. And then I spent the next three Sundays um, driving around um, primarily the, the middle of the US, visiting churches and preaching there. And then uh, on the last Sunday I was there, I was with your former DS, uh, Dr. Sharon and Dr. Elizabeth in their new church in uh, Portland, Oregon, and it's a beautiful church, um, and they are doing well, and they send their greetings, of course. They miss everybody uh, a lot, and I think most everyone knows, but they are planning on coming back uh, for a visit at the end of, this, end of this year, so that'll be good to see them all again. When I left Portland, <clears throat> I flew to Dallas, because Dallas is the hub, uh, for uh, for American Airlines and Qantas, which is what I usually fly, and then flew from Dallas to Sydney, and then Sydney to Brisbane to say hello to my wife and kids and pat the dogs on the head, and the next morning I flew back to Sydney and back to Manila and spent uh, 
about, uh, um, I think it was just a little over a week, doing seminars um, in, on, the, on this, these constructs of, of love and worth and the power of uh, shame in our lives. I was working with a very good friend, uh, Dr. Janet Dean, who is a psychologist from Asbury um, Theological Seminary, teaches pastoral care uh, in pastoral counselling. We are working on getting her to come to NTC probably next year, that she could do a class in pastoral care and counselling, and all pastors get ready for that because uh, it'll, be a, it'll be an intensive, um, but it won't be limited just pastors. If you're involved in caring for people, That'll be a wonderful event, but that's all still to be put together. NTC doesn't know about that. That's just my dreaming at this point in time. But we're hoping that that will happen. And, um, and then we're going to... Uh, we're, um, and then um, Dr Dean and I are going in September to do a series of uh, seminars in, in Kentucky. So, uh, so travel has been much on my mind. But fortunately, tomorrow I, uh, I get home and uh, we'll have a day or two off, which I'm looking forward to. But um, uh, this has been a pretty straightforward trip. It's been a fairly easy trip. But the very first time <clears throat> that uh, I ever traveled overseas with my wife was back in 1989. Yes, young people, they did have airplanes back in 1989. Um, but you know what? Back in 1989, airplanes couldn't fly all the way over the Pacific. So, uh, so we had this journey all mapped out. We were supposed to fly. We were going to our very first General Assembly in 1989. My wife and I have been pastoring for about four years. Uh, but two years. Two years, yeah. Um, and, uh, and we were headed to General Assembly and we were looking forward to it. So we, were gonna, we drove to Brisbane, flew to Sydney. We are supposed to fly from Sydney to Honolulu, Honolulu to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Portland. Um, and we were visiting friends, different friends in Portland back then. We got to the airport. Um, uh, Emmy's parents live in Sydney. They had dropped us off at the airport. And we were walking up to the counter to uh, get, every, get all the, the check-in stuff all done. And we heard over the loudspeaker that Qantas uh, baggage handlers had gone on strike and all flights were cancelled. This was our very first trip overseas, and we were so excited about it. And, uh, and you just know it, right? You know, when things just don't work out the way you want them to be, we're all excited and we're all happy, and, and we get to the counter and they go on strike. Oh, God, why are you doing this to us? You know, that's the way our brain sometimes processes those things. Everything's against me, forgetting the fact that there are thousands of people that are impacted by this event. We feel like it's all... It's all falling down upon us. So uh, after a while, we were told that the flights had been cancelled and they'd start to make arrangements for other, uh, for other flights with other airlines. They actually put us up in a, in a very, very nice hotel in down, downtown Sydney. And they said to, in the morning, go down to Qantas headquarters. And they gave us the address. It wasn't far. It was a couple of blocks down from the, from the hotel. Go down there and they will give you a pass and that pass will get you onto whatever airline we subsequently put you on. We're going to put you on a different airline, but that pass will get you onto that flight. So, so uh, we uh, actually they had said at some stage that day that that was going to happen when they when they sorted everything out. So we went and we um, went we stayed the night in the hotel. About three o'clock in the morning, I got up and I called 
um, Qantas um, to find out if the plans were still that way. And they said, yes, actually, if you are there at six o'clock in the morning and you get your pass straight away, get a shuttle to the airport, we've already got a number of, of, of air, well, no, we've got one airline, uh, one flight lined up and the first, I think it was 30 people that get there, they will get that, they will get that seat. So be early. So at six o'clock in the morning, I was down there at the Qantas headquarters when they unlocked the door. I ran in, got the pass, ran back. And as I got back to the hotel, all the people were coming down the elevator and discovering the news that that's what they're supposed to, they're supposed to do. So I was ahead of the game. I'm in front of the pack. And so I'm looking around for, for, a, for a, um, a, uh, a way to get to the airport. And there's a shuttle bus that comes. The shuttle bus pulls up, up the front of the of the uh, hotel and I grab Emmy's, we've already got our luggage, grab Emmy and I race her onto the, onto the, uh, onto the bus. Did I mention she was seven months pregnant? She was seven months pregnant. So we're, we're trying to run to, the, to, to get onto the bus and, and we get on this bus and the bus does this circuitous route all over Sydney and thinking we've got to get to the airport, we've got to get to the airport because the first 30 people are going to get on this flight, right? So, so finally we get to the airport and I, rush, I run up to the counter and I say, here's our pass, we need our, I went to the Qantas counter, here's our pass, we need our allocation on the flight. And uh, she said, well, we're not handling that here, you need to go to the United counter and, uh, you, and you need to check in there. And so I went, okay, so um, went all the way over to the United counter and, uh, and got to the United counter and when I'm standing there, I told the girls, they said, well, we don't know anything about this. This is, not, this is not our responsibility. I said, it is. They just sent us over here. So they're having discussions and they're having conversations and I'm looking over my shoulder for the crowd of people that are coming, right? Because <coughs> I'm at the front of the pack and there's no way in the way, world I'm missing out on one of those seats or two of those seats. And so, uh, and so ultimately... <coughs> She comes back and she says, no, no, you've got to check in at the Qantas counter. I said, I was just over there and they told you to come here. And I looked over and, the, and the, all the people are getting out of the bus and headed towards the Qantas counter. I grabbed this receipt and I ran and I got there just as the first person got there. And the girl that was serving that first person um, was the person that served me. And I was as rude as all get out. I said, excuse me. You served me. I was the one standing before and you sent me over there. This is my spot. I'm the first in line. <clears throat> the love, all the love and grace of Jesus you could see right there. And so, and so she turned to me and said, yes, sir, you are right. That, I did the wrong thing. I'll stamp your ticket and here's your pass. And so we got on the plane. Well, that plane flew from Sydney to Auckland and then Auckland to Honolulu. And we were then supposed to get another flight worked out in, in Honolulu. So we fly to, set, fly to Auckland, we get here, get off the plane, do some changing around, then we get back on the plane. And when I sit, when we get back on the plane, they've got us separated. My wife's seven months pregnant, did I mention that? So she sits, she sits on one side of the, of the aisle and I sit on the other side of the aisle and, and she sits next to, a gentleman sits down next to him and as soon as he sits down, he coughs, this huge loud cough and all this, let's just be kind, stuff came out of his mouth, right, and, and nose. It wasn't attractive at all. And so she reached over and she said, can we swap seats? And I said, because oh, I'm the husband and she's seven months pregnant. Did I mention she's seven months pregnant? So, so we, changed, we changed seats and I sit next to him. And, and then he, he took some pills and uh, he fell asleep like this, within seconds of taking off, fell asleep and then went, <coughs> and he coughed 
on me all the way from Auckland to Honolulu. <clears throat> and I'm going constantly, I'm, I'm, I'm like the whole trip. So we get to Honolulu and we find out the next leg of the trip doesn't leave until the next morning. So I said to Emmy, um, why don't we just call up the DS and, and uh, we'll go downtown, we'll explore, um, we'll explore Honolulu and uh, we can have a great, we're here for the night. She said, I am not moving from this place until we get on another plane and get out of here. I'm not going anywhere. I said, it'll be fun. We can have a great time. She said, I'm seven months pregnant. I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. We're getting on the plane and we're going to, to, uh, to wherever we're going to go to. I said, fair enough. So we ended up lying on the floor in the Honolulu airport. airport. <clears throat> and then uh, finally, the next morning, they gave us flights in, into the U.S., and, I, and we walked up the, the, um, the, the gate onto the plane and we walked down and, uh, and we walked to our seats and there's people sitting in our seats. And, uh, and uh, we, sat, we, we said, those are our seats. And they said, no, these are our seats. And I said, well, look, here's our boarding pass. It's got those seat numbers on them. And they pulled out their boarding pass and said, this is our boarding pass. It's got the same, they've got the same numbers on them. And the stewardess came down. Did I mention my wife was seven months pregnant? The, um, the stewardess comes down and says to us, oh, well, we've made a mistake. We'll have to get you on a later flight. Um, and, uh, and, and Emmy was not happy. She said, I am not going to leave this plane. I will stand up and hold on to this door handle if I have to all the way to America. So they, they quick, somehow they found seats. And back in those days, they had a smoking section in the flight, right? This is the flight from hell, I'm telling you. It's just so, so, so they, but they've put us right in front of the smoking section. And I don't know any of you that remember, a couple of you are old enough to remember when they have smoking sections in planes. There is no invisible wall. People smoke there, you're sitting here, you're in the middle of smoke. The smoke does not stop at the edge of the smoking section. So I'm sitting down after 15 hours of flying with a guy coughing in my face and, we, and we're getting to sit down. As soon as I sat down, my stomach went, and I said, hang on, Emmy, just give me a minute. I jumped up and I ran to the toilet, I threw it open and everything I'd eaten for the last 24 hours went straight down that, that toilet bowl. And I went, and I was white and, and hot, and, and, uh, and I now I'm staggering back to the seat. I get down on the seat, uh, I sit down on the seat, and, 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 uh, and Emmy's taking care of me. Um, and we, we, fly to, we fly to San Francisco, and we change the plight. And, and this, has gone, this has been going on now for, it feels like, weeks this trip has been been unfolding, and I and I on the plane I'm flying we're flying between on the last leg flying San Francisco to Portland and I'm and I'm just got my head in my hand I'm just feeling as sick as a dog and I'm sobbing and in my hand I say God I know that you did the miracle for the Ethiopian eunuch in that in that story and you and you whisked away Stephen and uh, and I know you can do that just just touch the plane and put us in Portland. I can't do this any longer. Just work a miracle. He didn't. I endured. And, and interestingly enough, I got off the plane and, and, and felt fine. But, uh, but seriously, that was the worst trip I've ever had. Nothing compares to that. That was horror for, uh, for all those hours that, it, that we were on. The point of the story, and as elaborate as that story is, the point is 
Things don't always work out the way we want them to, do they? Sometimes in life, our reality is not the way that we would hope things to be. It is in that place when we are living in reality that is not the way that we would want it to be that we struggle the most with our faith. It is in that place that we feel like God has abandoned us. God has left us. It's in that place that we feel like maybe life's not worth living or, uh, or my life is just, is just worthless and hopeless. And that's the place we find ourselves. We are on something of a journey here this, this weekend as we've, as we've unpacked this story. We started, with, we started with the idea that God says in this world we will be like, or John says in this world we will be like Jesus. And that's where we're going to finish this evening. We've looked, at our, we've looked at our struggle. We've looked at what God is desiring to do in our lives. And we want to come back to this place in this world we will be like Jesus. And let me suggest that the idea that in this world we will be like Jesus has some challenges, right? If in this world we'll be like Jesus is up to you and I, we're probably not going to make it, are we? If in, the, if in this life we will be like Jesus is about us responding and reacting right in every situation and circumstances, we're probably not going to be that, are we? So what can it possibly mean when, <clears throat> when John says, in this world, we will be like Jesus? John is being serious at this point. This is his passion. This is his passion flowing out of here. All of this, all of these chapters reflect reflect John's deepest passion that we will live beyond sin that we will live in the midst of love that we would live life of love over and over again he says love one another and in this section that we've read here this evening he says dear friends let us love for one another because love comes from God I want you to hold on to that thought there because we're going to read all the way down um, uh, where am I going? A few verses here, but I want to hold on to that for every. So, dear friends, let's love one another because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you remember in your scripture reading when, John, when Jesus was praying for his disciples at the end of the gospel of John? He says, these words, this is the way that all men will know that you are my disciples, by the way that you love one another. And that obviously struck home to John as he heard the words of Jesus. This is, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. This is, this is the evidence of God's work in our lives, that we love one another. And so 
there, there's, there's, this, there's this imperative about, uh, about John that's, that, that is seriously reflecting that whatever we say about God, whatever we say about our relationship with God, whatever we say about our, our theology or our understanding of the word, the evidence of God's work in our life is the way that we love one another. And so we have this, this, this overwhelming reality that we are, conf- we are confronted with because it's not always easy to love one another, is it? Sometimes what you do gets in the way of me doing the things that I want to do. And sometimes the things that I do get in the way of what you want to do. And sometimes we can, we can act out of the space of feeling like uh, our... our um, our desires are being thwarted. Well, if we remember <clears throat> the other night, I talked about the fact that our desires are very often reflective. Uh, unless our desires come from the God's love at work in our lives, our desires are, our, are reflective of our own deep need to be loved and to be valued. And we seek to find a way of, of fulfilling that purpose. And when my desires for that purpose get in the way of your desires for that same purpose or vice versa, what we reflect to each other is very often not love. And what God, what John is challenging us here this evening is a quality of life in God that is so overwhelmingly beyond what is natural and human as to be the single most profound evidence of the validity of God, the way that we love one another, because that's not what we do naturally. That's not what we do in our brokenness. So let's back up a little bit and get back to the starting point. Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. And then down in verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. This is love. Not that we love God, that we, that, but that God loved us. Our theological foundation, which is called Wesleyan holiness theology, has a very important component to it that it's, that it's incredibly important for us to understand. You see, we believe in free will. We believe that every human being gets the chance to choose freely the love of God. The reason that is so very, very important to, to us, as it was to John Wesley and obviously in the, in, in the scriptures, is that freedom reflects worth. And when a person is controlled, they will feel less valuable. So if we have no choice in the matter to, of, of loving God, if God is, has determined that we will love him, then our free choice is taken away and we are less than what we desire to be. And so the product then is not actually effectively that God has loved us, but that God has controlled us. And so central to our theological framework is that you and I have a free choice to make. We get to choose whether or not we will receive the love of God. 
But the accusation quickly comes. How is it possible that you could have free choice? Because you are marred deeply with sin. Our every observation is stained by sin. Our sin nature drives us constantly towards sin. How is it possible for us to make a choice from God? for God? Well, John Wesley never struggled with that question. It was so very easy for him to, to, to see that, it was, that the question uh, never amounted to much for him because John Wesley's observation was not built upon the inadequacy of humanity but on the glory of God. He had this overwhelming optimistic view of God that God was greater than humanity. And he simply said, if nobody on earth ever experiences the kind of love that God would have for us to live out of that holiness, then let's, let's call every human being a liar and God's still true. If nobody ever gets there, it's our fault, not, not God's. And here's the reason why. Because in Wesley's concept, and it's very, very simple. In Wesley's concept, God loved us first. And God and love comes from God. So from eternity to eternities, love has been issuing forth from the God of love towards us. And our every breath, our every movement, our every action is inside the context of God's love. And God's love is always calling, always empowering, always enabling us to make a choice for him. So yes, it is impossible for us to choose God. But God, but God, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God first loved us. It's not up to us. When we focus on our humanity, we get overwhelmed and we say, I can't do it. But God loved us first. Love comes from God. It's not that you loved God. It's that God loved you. <clears throat> and here's the thing. For so many of us, myself included, we get so wrapped up in our ministry and in our daily life of living out the love of God to show God how much we loved him that we end up feeling like it's all up to us. We end up feeling exhausted and alone and empty because we're giving, giving, giving of our love to God. We've lost sight of the reality. God loves us. It starts with God. He loves us. It's not that you love God. It's that God loves us. Stop and think about that for a moment. It's not that you love God. It's God loves you. That's what makes it possible. And so many of us have, have struggled in that space with our own doubts and our own fears about ourselves because, because our brokenness speaks into our life and it says we are unable. We're not good enough. We're inadequate. We never can. We never will. And there's whole theological structures that say the same thing. But it's not that you loved God. It's that God loved you. And, and what did God do as a result of loving you? He sent his own son into the world to be a sac an atoning sacrifice. He not only loved you, but he showed you how valuable you are to him.
God loved you and sent his son. God loved you. God loves you and values you more than he values his own life. And then John says, we know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. We know that he, that he lived... That we, we know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in my life. And the, the love of God, the grace of God empowers our lives then to live out that love. It's not up to us. It's not up to us. It's up to God. Can I remind you this evening... Of the standard of love. If we flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and John would have had access to this. But this, this is what Paul says that love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of, of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. This is love. See, this love, if you look at all of those phrases, this love hinges on the reality of valuing the object of our love. And in fact, not only does it hinge on valuing the object of our love, but it hinges on valuing the object of our love from God's perspective. It's, see, it's God's perspective that matters, not yours, not mine, but God's perspective. So when God's love fills my life and his Holy Spirit takes up residence in my life, then the eyes that he gives me to see are his eyes. And all God desires of any of us is that we surrender to that love and by faith accept that he loves me. By faith accept that he loves me enough to send his son to die for me. That he values my existence more than he values his own. Now, we've all heard that story so many times it almost becomes a little blasé for us. But let's just pause for a moment. Let's just stop. The creator of the universe, the one who is beyond all else, the one that is nothing but love, loves you. And sees enough value in your life to die for you. It's an astounding truth. And why do we resist that? Why do we hold back from that? Because the thoughts that break across our mind, it can't be true. You can't be good enough. You know that's not who you are. You know you're not adequate. You can't live that way. Those are the thoughts that break across our minds and flow from our very brokenness. Paul would call that the sinful nature. 
the way we experience the sinful nature in our lives, we, call, we can call shame. My own sense of worthlessness. But God calls us here this evening to look that in the face and lay it at his feet and say, I will not, will not be defined by my brokenness, but I will be defined by your love. And I will live out your love because you love me. And because you love me, you make it possible for me to live in that place. And, that we, know, and we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son into the world to be the saviour of the world. There it is again. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. When John talks about acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God, he is talking about that intimate relationship that comes as a result of being overwhelmed by love so that it's not that I just know with my cognitions that Jesus is the Son of God. I know with my very being. I know with my heart of hearts. The Holy Spirit lives in me and I know that he's the son of God. I know that he's given his life for me. <clears throat> and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We know and we rely on the love that God has for us. Our whole lives now are lived in the quality of, of the love that God has for us. God is love. God is love. God is love. Your longing for love is a longing for God. Your longing for worth is a longing to know that you are lovable. God is love. And it's not that you loved him, but that he loved you. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. It's, it's black and white in John's mind. If, you're, if you live in love, you're living in God. And then he says, in this way, love is made complete amongst us so that we have confidence in the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like him. Because his love is made complete in us, we have confidence on the day of judgment, that great day that is coming, the day of judgment. We don't have to worry at all about that. We don't have to be concerned about that. We don't have to fear at all. Because love fills our life. And this is how we know that love fills our life. Uh, fills our life. Because in this world we're like him. How indeed can we be like Jesus? Well, you know, you could look at an awful lot of things that might, you might say, well, that's who Jesus is. But the one thing that is indisputable is love. In this life, we are like him in love. His Holy Spirit fills our life. This is a quality of, of Christian life that is far beyond anything that ever, anyone could ever imagine outside of the glorious promises of God. This is fantastic stuff. It is the stuff of fantasy. Except that God gave his life for you, that you might know his love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And that's, that specifically has to do with the fear that grips the human heart about judgment. Well, if we're filled with love, there is no fear. Because our hearts are filled with love. And then he says, we love 
because he first loved us. He says it again. It's very important for John, for John to get this message across. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And the reality is that you and I are called to a place where we lay down all the things of our life that would keep us looking in another direction other than God. We're called to surrender all that we are, our very being, our very identity. And here's the unfortunate reality about that. When we wrestle with our identity in surrendering it to God, it's very messy. Because it's the only identity we have. And if we're trying to get to the, to the journey's end, it's messier than that, than that flight that I described to you. Because our identity struggles to remain. Because it's all we know. It's how we evaluate life. So every thought that comes in, we're evaluating against that identity. There is no way past this point but a miracle of God's grace. It requires a miracle of God's grace for you to move into that relationship with God where love fills your life to overflowing, where you love one another because he first loved you. All of your humanity, all of your understanding of yourself struggles to say that can't be. But by faith, because he is love and he gives us the grace to respond to him, we lay down our lives and we say, Jesus, I refuse to be defined by anything but your love anymore. And in our Wesleyan holiness tradition, amongst many phrases, we've kind of fell in love with this phrase, entire sanctification. There are other phrases that we use, the heart purified by faith, um, the heart filled with love. There's numbers of different phrases that have been coined, the higher way, been coined across the years. But we kind of love this little phrase, entire sanctification. But as a church, we're in danger of losing touch with our, with our heartbeat if we lose sight of the fact it's not that we love God, it's that God loves us. And entire sanctification isn't about what we do for God. It's because God loves us that we have the confidence to lay our identity before him as an act of faith. This is why early in our movement, the idea of entire sanctification was captured with this idea of the second blessing. The first blessing being the moment we're saved. The second, the second blessing being the moment that we're entirely sanctified. And some people struggle with that, with that um, framework. It's too, it's too mechanical. It's too one plus one equals two. Fine, I don't care. But here's the reality. There must come a moment in your life and in my life, where by faith we recognise the reality of the fact that we are defined by our brokenness and it speaks into everything that we do and that we come before God and we lay our brokenness before him.
and we say, Jesus, I refuse to be defined by anything but your love. And we lay our hearts open, we lay our hearts bare, and we receive by faith his gift of making our hearts holy and filling our hearts with his love. It is a gift, but it's a gift in exactly the same train as every other gift that God gives us. Life, salvation, sanctification, glorification are all the things that God is calling us into to experience his love. It's not that you love God. It's that he loves you. Would you stand with me? I'm fairly confident that as we've gone through this process this evening, some of us have felt like, you know what? There are lots of places in my life where I'm still holding on to my identity. I want for you, as I pray for us, whether it's here in this room, there in NTC, there in Biloela, or wherever else you might be online, as I pray, just acknowledge in your own heart your desire to experience the love that God has for you in all of its fullness. It's not that you love God. It's that he loves you. And if you open your heart by faith, surrendering all that defines you to him, he will fill your heart with love. He will make it possible for you to love your neighbor, to love one another. So as I pray, would you open your heart? For those of us that are very aware that that's the place we live, will you join me in your heart with prayer and dedicate yourself once again to living in that reality? Our loving Lord Jesus, as we stand before you this evening, no matter where we are, <clears throat> and what mar marvellous thing this technology is, but Lord Jesus, before the sound of my voice has traversed the geographical gaps, your Holy Spirit has already spoken to us. It's not that we love you. It's that you love us. It starts with you. And all that you require of us is faith to believe that you love us beyond everything else and to lower all the walls of our defences and surrender our lives to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that if there are some right now that are hearing these words, that are very aware that there are issues of battle within, struggles of identity, would you cause that struggle to come to an end in the flooding reality of your love? And now, Jesus, we, your people, deliberately choose you. We choose your life. We surrender all that we have to you. And we ask for your sanctifying Holy Spirit to flood our lives and to fill us with your glory and with your love, that we might be your people, loving one another as evidences of your love for us, loving our neighbours as we love ourselves, that we would be empowered to rise up again as the people of God and bring revival to our lands as we live out the love that you have called us to live. We will be your people for your glory and for your praise 
and for your honour. Right now, we choose you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to learn more about the college, please check us out online at ntc.edu.au and you can follow us on Facebook. We hope to see you again in a future episode.